Welcome to No Life Till Lager, a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we who drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one pint. My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm an advanced Cicerone. I'm part of the creative team behind the Six Most Metal Breweries and Beer Like and Das Movie. Today, my guest is Kevin Davey, the founding brewmaster at Wayfinder Beer in Portland, Oregon. Cheers and welcome, Kevin. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you for kicking off the No Life to Lager podcast with us. Hell yeah. I am drinking Hellas Lager Beer, uh, the Hellas Lager at 4.7% from Wayfinder. Kevin, what you got? About that beer? That's our flagship, the first beer we ever brewed. Um, it's a Hellas. We like to call it Hell just because we think it's metal as hell. Um, it's a light lager. It was kind of funny because we started this brewery. And I feel like most metal breweries are like, we got to have double IPAs and Imperial Stouts. And, and we we're looking around one day and we're like, man, we just like drinking Pilsners and like light lagers. <laughs> Why don't we just make a metal brewery that makes lager beers? So that's kind of been the inspiration for it. And it, it's been well received. It's been loved. So I've, I've been very thankful for that. Nice. I will, um, I will drink yeah. to that. What do you have in your hand? Uh, I actually, opposite of, I have our B. Yob. Doppelbach, this is a quad decocted Doppelbach we make for the band Yob. Um, this one is this year's. It's tasting pretty good. I like it. I love it a year old. I think it's perfect one year old, but yeah, it's 7.7%. Um, it's a really great uh, winter warmer, to say the least. It's really cold and rainy here in Oregon today, so yeah, I feel like it's very fitting. B Yob, is that a play on BYOB? Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Very clever. Clever. Okay. Um, so I've had the good fortune of visiting Wayfinder before. We have met in person at the Firestone Walker Invitational Beer Fest. Uh, just, just to show you what a fan I am, I have your Garbage Pail official tops playing <laughs> card here. I don't know if the camera will pick this up, but the likeness is incredible. We're looking at Kevin You Kong. got the gold version. You know there's three versions. Yeah. 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 And the gold one is the rarest one. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, well, life fantasy fulfilled to become a garbage pail kid. <laughs> and now we're truly. I actually bought the, I bought the actual art um, too. It's up on my wall inside. It was it was definitely like one of the most exciting things. I'm like, I can't believe I'm a fucking garbage pail kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, Little young Kevin was very excited. I want to hear your story. Let's start at the very beginning. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Uh, well, I'm Kevin Davey, and um, I started brewing 13 years ago. I was home brewing before that. Uh, I got out of high school and got a real job, worked the school of hard knocks by being, doing maintenance, and then I was a plumber for a bunch of years in Seattle. And at that point is when I started getting into home brewing. And it got to the point where I'm like, it just has to be a bigger batch. I just got to make a bigger batch. I just need to have more control. I need to like start geeking out so much. I just fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the history of beer. I fell in love with like specifically lager beers were like my favorite. I also just like European beer. I thought it was just so much more interesting than a lot of the stuff that was made in the States. And so, yeah, um, it must've been in 2008. I made the decision like, Hey, I want to go to, um, a brewing school and I want to change careers and do this. And so I saved up a bunch of money, went, put myself through the Siebel Institute of Chicago, which is in partnership with Dumans and 
Munich, a different school. So it was like part of it's Chicago, part of it is in Munich and studied brewing, came back and got my first brewing gig. <laughs> so that's kind of the origin story. Um, my first gig was uh, working for a lager brewery called Chuckanut up in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, they're arguably probably one of the mo most respected and loved lager breweries, I think, in the nation. Uh, started by a guy named Will Kemper and his wife, Mari Kemper. Um, they started Thomas Kemper back in the day, if anyone's familiar with. I think there's still a soda brand uh, that's still kicking around with that name on it. But um, yeah, went up to Bellingham and learned from the master. He was definitely my sensei. He was, uh, I still consider myself a Will Kemper style brewer. I like to make lagers the way he taught me. Um, after that, I, we, I left to go work for Firestone Walker down in California for a year. Uh, tried, did production brewing. I thought that was like where I was going to go. I want to do like more production stuff. And I found out that not only did I not want to work in production, <laughs> I wasn't really good at the central coast uh, working in the middle of the desert. I was, I was a delicate forest creature. I'm used to this rain and the moss and everything in the Northwest that I love so much. So <laughs> I scrambled my way back up uh, to the Northwest, went back to Seattle, worked at a at a brew pub there, one of the Gordon Biersch, one of the Gordon Biersch uh, franchises, and ran that for a couple of years, and until I got uh, reached out by the guys who started Wayfinder and was their founding brewer. That is a life in lager. That's seven years ago, yeah. So it's been a while. Between just the initial kind of influence uh, at the Siebel Institute with the connection to Munich, working at Chuck and Nut, um, I hear you about the heat in Central Coast. Paso Robles where Firestone, we both experienced it at the Invitational, <laughs> uh, but there are no accidents. Um, was there a beer, right. was there an initial moment, like a beer itself, that turned you on to the idea of craft brewing or to lager beer at large? Well, I mean, I really didn't really get into beer until I was about 18 or 19. I didn't really, like my parents never drank when I was growing up. And uh, so I didn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't even adjacent to it, I never even really saw it. But when I got up to Seattle, um, there was a big craft, beering, craft brewing scene, but not really that much back in 2000. Well, I moved there in 2000. Um, but I remember going into a craft beer bar in 2003 when I turned 21. And a friend of mine uh, pulled off. He's like, you got to share this bottle with me. And we had a Unibrew, a Belgian style double or something like this. And we popped the top, two glasses. And I know it's not a lager beer, but it blew my fucking mind. It was just like, I didn't know beer could be this flavorful, this interesting, and it could have all these wine-like flavors and have all this other stuff. Um, just didn't see it. it. And that's really what got me really excited. At the same time, there was a, um, a German style, uh, uh, German style import pub called Prost. And uh, they, they opened up just down the street and it was like my local bar. I was drinking Bitburgers and uh, Polaner and Francis Connor and all that stuff and eating pretzels and being like, okay, this is the side that I really love. <laughs> this easy drinking, um, but delicious. You know, it's like America, America is kind of funny because it's like we either have Hummers or we have Priuses. We have to be in our extremes on both yeah. levels. And the <laughs> Europeans have like this, like, well, you can have a lot of flavor. It doesn't have to knock you over the damn head. So I've always really appreciated that thought and that sentiment. And that's that's where I wanted to go. 
Yes, you're right that America is a country of extremes, maybe now more than ever. Yes, it's a Hummer or a Tesla. Uh, I hear you, though. I hear you about, first of all, that's a moment everyone can definitely share. Their first beer, lager or not, whatever it was, their first craft beer, their first real full-flavored experience with beer. And then finding something that you can drink that's a little more middle of the, ro middle of the road uh, for the night, for the session, for longevity. Yeah, that's where lagers really come into play. Um who are you outside of the brew house, outside of brewing, outside of the brewery? Tell us more about Kevin Davey. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, I was always really big into music. And uh, when I moved to Seattle originally, it was I wanted to um, play in bands and stuff. And I, I was a plumber mainly because I could afford to then buy guitars and, and, and do this kind of stuff. And um it never really panned out. <laughs> uh, I would never really have that much talent there. I had a lot more talent when it comes to making beer. So I stay in my lane. But um, yeah, um, big into music, big into like science fiction and fantasy novels. Um, garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail Kids. Uh, what else do I really know and love? I feel like my whole life has revolved around this brewery for the last seven years. So yeah. I've become a little bit more boring than I used to be. Never boring. It's important to recognize our talents, man. I think you did okay. Between the beer in your hand, the wine behind you, the Red Fang t-shirt, I think you're doing okay, Kevin. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is we live in McMinnville in the Wine Valley. And so um, my partner and I, excuse me, we do um, we do buy a lot of delicious wine yeah. um, as well because it doesn't have any beer attached to it. So it doesn't feel like work, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, moving on, tell us who Wayfinder is. Who is Wayfinder Beer? Uh, so Wayfinder was founded by uh, three guys, uh, Matt Jacobson, who started Relapse Records and the Sizzle Pie Pizzas and uh, a couple of bars like White Owl and uh, Bardoon and a few others. And um, Rodney Muirhead, who is a Texas barbecue guy, owns a Texas barbecue spot here in Portland. Also a little Tex-Mex place next door called The Talk. And Charlie Devereaux, who was uh, the original, uh, he ran, he started Double Mountain Brewing in Hood River and came on to Wayfinder to, um, to do this thing. And they, they hired, uh, Charlie hired me uh, about a year before we opened up. And um, he's, he's since gone on and he's, he's started a, like um, a contract brewery and he's doing his own thing. And so I've, I've just been running the Wayfinder shop ever since. Okay. Um, and then the other, the other dark horse is also Orion Landau, who uh, he does a lot of the uh, art for a lot of relapse um, album covers. Yeah, not only relapse, he just does a lot of people's album covers too. He did, he did the Yob album. Oh, this isn't it. He did the Yob album cover. Um, lots of t-shirts, posters, all sorts of beautiful stuff, this red thing. Uh, and he's one of my best friends. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, one of mine too. We've got to give a shout out to Orion because he did indeed design the No Life Till Logger nice. logo. So it's <laughs> no accident that we are kicking this off with Wayfinder. Um, can you tell us a little more about what makes Wayfinder different? Let's say there's about 9,500 breweries more than ever before in America now. So right. how does Wayfinder stand out from the crowd? You know, one of the things that we wanted to do different is um, is focus on the flavor of malt uh, in beer. I think that there's a lot of ways that you can differentiate yourself, especially if you're doing like mixed culture. Um, 
different microbes. You can use um, a fooders and use fooder fermentation. You can use spontaneous fermentation. Um, you can do barrel aging with uh, wood and uh, whiskey barrels. There's so many different ways that you can focus on and spend your money on uh, making your beer stand out. What we did was we added a decoction kettle and we really focused on decoction as one of the main avenues to make our beer stand out and taste as categorically different as we can. Uh, it's And for everybody who's listening that doesn't know what decoction is, it's kind of an old school brewing method where you mash the grain in with water, then you remove part of the wet grain, boil it, and then put it back in. It does a lot of different things. Some people say it doesn't matter anymore and that modern malts, you don't need to be decocted. That's a bunch of baloney. I'm sorry, everybody. There, it, decoction does matter. Uh, quote me on that one. Um, and decoction adds a certain level of flavor that you can't get without decoction. You can't, if you're not boiling the grain itself, it will never taste like boiled grain. And it has a very old, old rustic element to it. You're literally exploding the whole um, husk of the barley. You're liquefying all of the gum, liquefying uh, whatever protein and whatever else you have in there. Um, it creates a lot of different flavors as well, because when you're boiling it, you're also deactivating the enzymes that you've used and you have, it forces you into a different type of step, step mashing regime, creates a different type of beer. That's really interesting. So we, we really love it, embrace it. It's how we make our Czech style beers. It's how we make our, uh, um, Dunkel, our, uh, the Doppelbach, um, some of these more, um, oddball, strange ones, our Meritzen that's coming out here in about a month. So Wayfinder was um, literally built with decoction in mind. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And decoction and modern brewing. Yeah. So we do, we do everything in, um, in, uh, cylindrical conical tanks, uh, the fermentation, lagering, filtration, the whole thing, um, which is far, what my whole approach is, is let's take big brewing and put it on a small scale. So yeah. that's kind of the goal. And he's right that decoction, I think probably was seen as an ancient or even archaic method until recently, you know, literally like boiling separate parts of the grain or mash and then adding it back to the whole, um, but now I see more and more breweries doing it, more and more breweries boasting it. And I think you can probably take some of the, the credit for that. But all said and done, you just feel like it adds more depth of malt flavor to the beer. I, you know, it's interesting because I think that a lot of how we talk about beer is through a home brewing lens instead of a professional brewing lens. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. It's just that we, as when we're, because I was a home brewer for years when we talk about what works on homebrewing level, um, we, we don't like, Oh, decoction's not necessary because of this and this and this. It's like, well, yeah, but if you're actually making large vats of it, it, it is a lot different. The grain stays the same size, even though the batch gets bigger, <laughs> you know? So things aren't as laid out. Just it, it, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. Um, Another good example is the fact that, you know, there's a, I, we weren't the ones who invented decoction or started doing decoction. It's been, uh, brewers have been doing this in, in America for a long time. They just haven't really been talking about it. And I feel like we've, we've, we've gotten to a point in craft beer where the customer is, and the people who enjoy craft beer just like it and understand it and are getting it and enough to where when we're talking about it, they're willing to learn a little bit more, willing to dive a little bit deeper to understand what they really like in a beer. 
And so I'm just, it's kind of like I'm giving content where there was no content. And then that gives um, the craft beer enthusiasts um, context for the beers that they do like in, in the, in the, in the whole scene, which is cool. The other thing about, you know, decocted beer is a lot of the thought that we have from homebrewing is that it makes the beer sweeter. It makes it more malty. I don't think that's true. I actually think it makes it drier and it gives it a different um, a palatfulness that you just don't get when you're trying to make these high, strong beers with a lot of uh, darker malts. Like if you don't use some type of decoction, it ends up kind of being flabby and weird where our beers, I feel like we can, we can break them down in a better way than you can just with mashing. It's really interesting. Tell us more about your approach. Uh, tell us how you sweat the technique, minimum lagering time for any beer uh, coming out of Wayfinder. Tell us more about your approach to lagering. Uh, our minimum uh, tank or so it's interesting because rent in Portland, we're downtown or on the, just on the East side, it ain't cheap. You know, we're not like in the middle of a farm where we can just let the tanks sit out there. You know, we got a lot of space. We don't have a lot of space yeah. and we got a lot of expensive tanks. So um, it's very important that we take a very structured scientific look to how what's happening in lagering and why we're doing it for as long as we're doing. So most typical Wayfinder beers are 35 days total tank time. So that's fermentation and lagering. And uh, the big strong beers uh, like Doppelbach are anywhere between eight weeks and 12 weeks, depending on how much I can really squeeze them in. Okay. Um, some of those bigger beers just benefit from a lot of long cold sitting around, but some of the hoppier beers like Pilsner, um, they're really great at five weeks. And uh, the, the, the scientific approach that we're looking at is trying to get the beers as cold as possible. Yeah. So we're, our, our attempt is to get the beer below freezing. We're lagering at about 30 degrees Fahrenheit, a little bit lower than that sometimes um, for extended amount of time. And that, that really, increases the rate like when you think if you increase the temperature you increase the rate of reaction you know what i mean mm -hmm. that's a typical i don't know if that's physics who knows um but for us it's you decrease the temperature and you increase the the rate of lagering so the lagering all those things that we want to get done um you're binding polyphenol protein complexes you're solidifying co2 your yeast is going into hibernation it's picking off acetaldehyde it's picking up sulfur dioxide, all of those things, all of those benefits that we get um, are better the colder it gets. And and that is, I mean, that is the lagering process in a not, nutshell, right? Like everything you just des uh, described. I, I feel like we'd probably miss an opportunity, like the back of your garbage pail kids <laughs> car definitely cites cold IPA. Um, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> so everything you just described, you basically took that and applied it to the IPA brewing process and was that to kind of approximate the flavors in IPA uh, that you might get from a lager otherwise what was the intention what was the goal what is cold IPA? oh uh, kind of just broke a lot of rules is what the goal was um, so when we do decoction we're, t we're typically talking about malt decoction so um, the other very very common practice for decoction at least here in the Americas was doing a cereal decoction and so when uh, American, when German immigrants, mainly German and Eastern European immigrants came here and tried to make lagers, tried to make beer like their homeland, um, they were mixing in a certain amount of corn or locally grown rice because the barley was very high protein and it wasn't as stable. 
is a much cleaner, more delicious beer if you could mix in the corn and the rice. Now, corn and rice both don't have, um, unlike barley, you can't make a malt out of it. Well, you can't, I don't, well, yeah, I guess you could probably make a malt out of it. However, they don't, there's not a lot of enzyme in there. So the enzyme potential that we need from the barley to break down the corn, you have to actually bring the corn and the rice up above gelatinization rest. So you actually have to liquefy the starches for those enzymes to break it down. And that is called um, a cereal decoction. So we applied cereal decoction and, um, and decocting the adjuncts and then using it in malt um, as a way of making IPA. Oh, nice. Nice. So your cold IPA, the like basically now style defining Wayfinder cold IPA uses adjuncts like corn or rice. Yeah, it started with rice and we have moved on to corn mainly yeah. for pricing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's about... 27% corn in a decoction, and then uh, it, it lightens the body. It allows the beer to get a little bit more drier without lacking, without it being kind of inseparably dry and that. Um, but then it allows, it's, it, think of cold IPA as being a, a complete, we're trying to get a completely blank canvas and allowing the hops to really shine through and really be a beautiful thing without any yeast, without, with very little yeast expression, very little malt expression. A noble goal. We'll see what all the beer nerds out there think once they know that there's corn or rice in their cold IPA. But it's just proof of how it can be used to let the hops really shine. Um, right. And yeah, and for any beer that's fermented at cooler temperatures, that's lagered over time, it really lets kind of the fundamental raw ingredients come through. Um, I know they're all your children, but I mean, do you have a favorite beer to brew? Do you have a favorite beer to drink? uh like is that cold ipa is it lager what's your favorite style uh my favorite style that we make is um time spiral munich dunkel ah. uh it's munich style dunkel we decoct it twice it is not hoppy at all it's amazing with food it has this like I think it's the quintessential Wayfinder beer, and it's probably the least popular Wayfinder beer that's ever been made. Nobody ever talks about Time Spiral. But Time Spiral is, is easily my favorite beer to drink, and it's my favorite one to brew. Um, just because it's it's complicated. There's some caramels in there. There's like um, there's a bunch of Munich, and um, it just it, it makes the brew house smell amazing, and uh, it's lagered for a long time, and it, it's only like 5%, so you can have a few and not really feel like you uh had a few anyway yeah it's my favorite beer classic classic dunkel would have been the most common form of lager maybe before what we now recognize you know since the 19th century as bright golden clear right. effervescent um you're definitely talking to fans of dark beers here and especially dark lagers how versatile they are how satisfying they are that's fantastic i think munich dunkel is like the it's you heard it here first. It's the next cool thing. The next cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That may, and if you want to make ales, you can make dark mild. That can be cool as well. But um, I think Munich Dunkel is definitely underappreciated. <laughs> I I don't doubt it. Uh, you've done it with cold IPA. You've done it with decoction. So let's see you do it with Dunkel, my friend. I love it. Um, Thanks. <laughs> why does all this matter? Tell us, like, why does lager matter? Why are we talking about it? Why does Wayfinder devote significant time and money and resources to brewing it? Uh, God, the simple answer is it tastes better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate to be, you know. No, I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. <laughs> drink to that, right? It's expensive. You know, when we think about 
the ingredients of beer, you think of water, water, malt, yeast, and hops. But the other two most expensive ingredients are time and the brewer. Yeah. And having an, um, somebody who really knows what they're doing and puts a lot of passion behind what they're doing is very expensive. And because um, it's taken a lot of years off my life to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bags of grain I've lifted. Yeah. A lot of late nights. But um, but also time. Time's an expensive thing. And it really makes beer, it makes everything taste a little bit better. And it's true with wine. It's true with a lot of a lot of things. If you rush it. And you don't have it come out correctly. I, I don't think it's a, a superior product. Mm. Um, it, you need a certain level of maturation. Lager is. When we talk about lager itself. We're talking about Saccharomyces cerevisiae, the yeast. Um, but Saccharomyces cerevisiae is ale yeast. Saccharomyces cerevisiae subgenus Carlsbergensis yeah. is lager yeast. It's a mutant. Um, when people have been making beer all these years, they were always making a, a mix of ale and other types of wild yeasts. And it, lager is relatively new. Uh, we only, you know, as humans, were able to select a single cell of lager yeast, gosh, in the in the 1850s. You know, it was when Emil Christian Hansen did this, May 1870s. Somebody's going to come back and actually, well, actually it was. But no, we... that was the first time that we actually were able to isolate any strain of yeast. It was when Emil Christian Hansen did it, and uh, he's a superhero in my opinion. We owe um, we owe Carlsberg a shout for, for Carlsberg. that. Yeah, <laughs> we owe yeah. Carlsberg a shout uh, for that. Um, but I've got to say, like, there is nothing more valuable than time in beer, yeah. in wine, in life. Um, rest assured, we taste those those blood, sweat, and tears, and years spent making these beers, Kevin. But you're right; there's nothing more valuable right. than time. I think what to Wayfinder's credit. You know, I've heard a lot of brewery owners talk about how, you know, why would I spend this time or why would I give the beer this real estate um, when, you know, it takes 30 days, maybe minimum for a lager uh, over the fermentation process. Or I could turn out like a double IPA in 10 days that people will pay a premium for. So I don't know if that speaks to your vision, to Wayfinder as a whole and your partners behind it. But someone clearly agreed at the very start that this is what we are going to do. This is who we are going to be. It's expensive, uh, I agree, but also all those hops are very expensive too. Yeah. You know, um, so time's expensive, but really when it comes to the brewery, we're just talking about more tanks. More tanks. Could we make um, a bunch of double IPAs um, with tanks, make a lot more beer? Yeah, we could. Uh, would we, we wouldn't be Wayfinder anymore and we would lose all our customers. Well, we wouldn't lose all our customers. We'd have to create different customers that wanted to buy the beer that we're making at that point. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, we're, we're trying to stand out and be somebody different. I feel like making IPAs is cool and we make IPAs. Yes. But um, I don't think it's the be all end all of brewing. And I think that there are people that really appreciate what we do and we don't need to appeal to everybody in this world, but I think people are willing to, if we price our beer correctly and we do good beer and uh, I think people are willing to pay for it and enjoy it. And that's kind of something that we've, we've been gambling on for a long time and it seems to be paying off. Well said, my friend. How much annual production at Wayfinder is devoted to lager brewing? Well, we did a total of about 3,000 barrels last year. Um, I would say probably 2,000 of it, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Okay. I, you know, I don't, I don't really have those hard numbers right in front of me. Yeah. Still, though, in any case, a majority of your production goes to lager brewing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's well over 50%. Okay. More like 60%. Okay. 
Um, let's talk about food a little bit. Which foods do you like to pair sure. with lager? You mentioned Munich Dunkel, um, but yeah, what <laughs> what foods are fun to pair with lager beer? Uh, barbecue, hmm. uh, tacos. Um, me myself, I I make a lot of Chinese food at home. That's been like my, my pandemic thing is that I got a walk and I just started learning how to make authentic Chinese food. And I've been trying to pair it with lager beers. It's been fun. Nice. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. It's kind of interesting. Um, I'm I'm a pretty big foodie, uh, but I think at the end of the day, I feel like lagers are like even really great lager is just such a it's such a everyday thing that you get to enjoy. You know what I mean? It's not it's special, but the reason it's special isn't because you only open it once every six months. Yeah, it's special because you get to enjoy it every week, every Friday, you get to have a few lagers. And, it, and it, or maybe even on a Tuesday after dinner with dinner, you know, that they are simple beers and that's why they're enjoyable too. So I, it's hard to say, hey, you gotta, you should only eat filet mignon and then have my Doppelbach. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that it's important. <laughs> Arguably, I would say Munich Dunkel and um, American beef stew is probably one of the best pairings in all time. Ooh, delicious. So let's uh, say Doppelbach and uh, caramel cookies. Yep. Ah, you're making me hungry. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, okay, so let's pretend you were on death row. Mm -hmm. It's your last meal. Uh, we, you don't have to say what you did. We all know you did it. So, right. What are you going to eat? <laughs> what are you going to drink? <laughs> what is your last uh, meal? The of beer choice? I'm drinking is Augustiner Lager Beer Hell. That's Ooh. obvious. You know, if, if you don't know Augustine or Lager Beer, uh, get yourself a ticket to Munich right now. Drive there. Stop anywhere, any store you can go to, and they have it. Yeah. And get yourself a bottle and chug it on the train. doesn't matter. You're going to decide that that's probably the best lager beer made in the, in the world. It's my number one. So that's the beer. Um, the food, I'm just going to go back to when I was at school in Munich, and I'm at Augustiner. The Augustiner Braustube and getting uh, half a Hendel. You know, they have these rotisserie chickens. They cut them right in half and just slap half of it on your plate with like that potato dumpling with the gravy. Oh, man. Yep, that's it. That's my meal. Oh, I can relate. Half a rotisserie chicken and Augustiner Hellas. I love it. You can kill me. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> oh, let this man live. Um, I can <laughs> I can relate. I, I learned how to drink beer when i went to germany i think around the age of 18 and that and that was my epiphany just just beer as beer was intended um as a full flavored beverage it was a completely different experience from anything i'd had in the states um so yeah i drank a lot of hellas maybe not augustiner i ate a lot of sauerbraten so i am with you mm -hmm. um and i hope we get to share a meal like that together someday soon hell yeah and we Is... gotta go get those little nuremberger sausages at the beer garden <laughs> delicious <laughs> some apovitzen yeah <laughs> Well, on that note, is there anything else you would like to say to new and regular beer drinkers out there alike? Um, good, great question. Um, don't get frustrated. There is a lot of craft beer out there. And um, if you go into your local spot and you're not really happy with the product, try another one. Go somewhere else. Look at shelf dates. There's um, just try things, try things and try things and don't get too, don't get frustrated. I feel like 
we've had this. When I got into craft beer 20 something years ago, we, there wasn't that much selection. You know, you, you, there was only a couple of things. I remember you like the craziest beer you could get was stone. You could get a stone arrogant bastard. And that was about it. And, um, now there's so much selection. It's really hard not to pick up a couple shelf turns every once in a while, pick up something that, you know, that just maybe has been sitting around or maybe isn't the most thought provoking beer. So st stick with it. There's a lot of great beer out there and a lot of great lagers. I like what I'm hearing. I think the message is don't give up on craft beer. I agree. It can be confusing. It can be frustrating. It can be disappointing for new consumers, but stick with craft beer and you'll find you'll find what truly defines it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this has been the first episode of the No Life to Lager podcast. Thank you to Kevin Davey, founding brewmaster at Wayfinder Beer. Thank you to Wayfinder. Kevin, how do we follow Wayfinder on social media? How do we find what's next from Wayfinder Beer? Uh, easiest thing is go on wayfinder.beer. You can find directions to our pub, our pub menu, everything you want, or follow us on Instagram. It's probably where you see the most art and cool pictures of us destroying cans and drinking them and packaging and pictures of skulls and heavy metal music and cool stuff. If you like what you heard, subscribe to No Life Till Lager, follow us on social media, help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. I am going to say good night and good lager. Cheers, Kevin. Cheers, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thank you. No life to love.